Hey, good morning, church. Hey, so glad to have you with us. If you're visiting with us or new to our church family here, we want to welcome you, and I hope you feel right at home. If you don't know me, my name is Daniel Lee, and if you can believe it, I'm coming up on one year here uh, soon, all right? It's not quite the one-year anniversary, but soon, and it's been, it's been fantastic. And having been here, you know, uh, sort of starting to get a feel for who we are as a community, and like I said, last week, we, the elders and I have been kind of formulating and fleshing out a little bit more of our vision statement that you saw in that video um, right there. And so I wanted to take a couple weeks here, right at the beginning of a new school year, right as thing, we're going to get back into the groove of things after a crazy summer for many of us. I wanted to take a couple weeks just to talk about who we are as a church, what drives us? What motivates us? What's our mission, our purpose, our passion? What, what are we here for? Okay, who are we? What makes us us? So if you are visiting, this I think is a perfect time to find out more about us as a church. Hey, but as we begin, if you are able and willing, would you please stand as we read this scripture um, this morning? And I'll read the words in white right at the end. You'll see some words in, uh, I think it's kind of an orangish color, that I want us all to read together right at the end of this prayer. This is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. He records two prayers. This is the second one of those, and it's amazing. So let's check this out together. Paul says, His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, and that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Let's read this together. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. I love the way Paul ends this prayer. Because we can sit here as a people, as a church, as a group, as a community, and we can just tread water. Or we can spin our wheels, rev our engines, whatever metaphor you want. We can try to do all sorts of things by our own power, by our own ideas, by our own authorities, in our own way, for our own purposes, without ever tapping into this power. And we're going to be left wondering, why does nothing change? 
I believe it was Dallas Willard, if I'm wrong on that, I'm, I'm sorry. But he said, you, your systems are set in place to give you the exact results you're getting. You are getting the exact results that your systems allow for you to accomplish. So if you look around and think, well, why isn't the church this? Maybe you have a big picture idea of what church should look like, of what you want to have happen for our community, our congregation, Mitchell, Orleans, Bedford, Lawrence County, Orange County as a whole. How do you want God to act? What do you want us to accomplish here? And we're not tapping into this power. We are losing out because Paul says he is able to do any, so much more, immeasurably more than anything we could even ask or even imagine. Whatever you're picturing in your mind is too small <laughs> for our God. We need to tap into that power and be at, that is at work within us, and all the glory goes to God. We looked last week at our vision statement. At Tulip Street Christian Church, last week we focused on this first part. We are a Christ-centered community. We talked last week about how church really comes from the Greek word that means gathering or assembly or community. It's just a body of people gathered together. In this case, for the purpose of serving Christ and worshiping God. We are a community, first and foremost. We're a family. We're a body. It, church is not a building. Church is not a structure. Church is not an organization and an institution. Church is us, a people centered and focused on Christ. Um, so we talked about last week how church is not a building, it's not an organization or an institution. Church is ecclesia, assembly, gathering, and community. This week I want to focus, though, on that question, that kind of follow-up question, the so what question. All right, we can gather together all we want. You can be here every time the doors are open, so to speak. You can be here every Sunday without fail, or if you do miss a Sunday, you're watching online, or you're listening to the podcast, or you're watching on YouTube after the fact. Like, you can do all of that, but does it really matter? Does just showing up, is that enough? What is our purpose? What's our mission? What's our function? That's what I want to focus on today. And so as I'm drawing from some of these thinkers and, and speakers and authors and pastors that are way smarter than I am, um, C.S. Lewis has this to say about the church. He says, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christs. That's what the word Christian means, little Christs. Uh, if they are not doing that, then all the cathedrals, the clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. If we as a people are not drawing closer to Christ and following him more closely, then nothing else at the end of the day, really matters. Priscilla Schreier says this, ministry is when people who hear you don't want more of you. I hope you don't want more of me, okay? They want more of him because of what you've said. Ouch. <laughs> when you point them to God's fire instead of trying to get attention for yourself, that's ministry. It's all about God. It's all about Christ. It's all about pointing to something bigger than 
just me, or bigger than Josh, or bigger than the elders, bigger than the staff here at church, bigger than the structure and the institution, bigger than us even as a community, something bigger. We're drawing people into a bigger story to connect them to a big God who can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. N.T. Wright has this. I love what he says. This is from his book, Simply Christian. If you haven't read that, I'd put it right up there with C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. If you only read two books ever about Christianity and our faith, apart from the Bible, okay, Mere Christianity and Simply Christian by N.T. Wright. Amazing, amazing works. Uh, He says this, the church exists primarily for two closely correlated purposes. First, to worship God and to work for his kingdom in the world. Worship God, work for his kingdom. The church also exists for a third purpose, which serves the other two. To encourage one another, to build one another up in faith, to pray with and for one another, uh, to learn from one another and teach one another, and to set one another examples to follow, challenges to take up, and urgent tasks to perform. This all is part of what is known loosely as fellowship. I love that. All these one another's. There's dozens of one another passages throughout the New Testament. We've looked at some of those in the past year. All of these one another passages. You are not meant to be a Christian on your own. We are here as a body, as a church, as a community to build each other up. And through this fellowship, we worship and honor God, and we serve the work of his kingdom. It's all connected. It's like a three-legged stool. If you don't have one of the legs, it's not going to stand. you got to have worship, service for the kingdom, and fellowship with one another. And finally, Rick Warren. Many of you know Rick Warren. Uh, you know, Saddleback Church out in California, written Purpose Driven Life, one of the best-selling Christian books ever. Uh, He's written Purpose Driven Church, and this is from that. And he says about the purpose of the church, worship helps people focus on God. Fellowship helps them face life's problems. Discipleship helps fortify their faith. Ministry helps them find their talents. And evangelism helps them fulfill their mission. It's bigger than us. It's about worship, fellowship, discipleship, ministry, evangelism, all of this goes into church. If you equate church with just what happens here in this room for an hour to an hour and 15 minutes, depending on how long the preacher goes, uh, on a Sunday morning, that is so small. That is so, so small. One hour out of your week, what happens to the other 167 hours? Are we accomplishing this task? Are we living up to the purpose of this church. So we know and we recognize that we are a Christ-centered community. But there's more. Here's what we want to accomplish. We are helping everyone experience a life worth living as we know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We spent many hours as our leadership team with our elders and myself and Josh discussing what we want for our community, what we want for our church members, what we want for Mitchell and Orleans and Bedford and the surrounding areas, what we want for the people that are part of this church and those that we come in contact with. And it basically boiled down to, we want them to experience 
a life worth living. Because there's so many messages out there. Everyone's trying to sell you a lifestyle, okay? Advertisements on TV or YouTube or billboards or wherever you find your advertisements, they're not just selling you a product, they're selling you a lifestyle. Coca-Cola always has happy, fit people in their commercials. Have you noticed that? <laughs> they're selling you a lifestyle. If, if you drink Coke, you will be happier and have more fun. We're trying to sell you, all these people are trying to sell you a lifestyle. Everyone's trying to pull you one way or the other to sell you something. We're not trying to sell you something. We're trying to plug you in to the ultimate experience of what a fulfilling, abundant life can be. Life worth living. So we're going to talk about that some more today. And as we were doing research into what vision statements and mission statements should involve, uh, it basically boiled down to the fact that every word has to mean something. You don't want a bunch of filler in a vision statement, all right? You don't want to have a whole paragraph. You want it to be as concise as possible. So as we were looking through this, I wanted to break down each word and where we're coming from with these ideas, okay? So helping Everyone, that's where I want to start. Helping everyone. By helping, this is what I mean. We don't pretend to have all the answers. Our church leadership is not the ultimate authority on all of life's questions, but we believe Christ is. We don't pretend to have all the answers. We're simply offering a helping hand to those who want to come along on the journey. We're not pretending that you are, that we are the be-all, end-all of theological and life knowledge. There are some things that I simply don't know. And that's why we need to work together because my weaknesses can be fulfilled with your strengths. That's why we need each other. And that's why we need to be able to help each other along to be there for one another. We don't pretend to have it all figured out, but we just want to offer a helping hand to everybody who comes along on the journey. And by everyone, I hopefully believe that we mean everyone. We want to build a community of inclusivity. Christ was so inclusive. He got in trouble for hanging out with all the wrong people. If you read through the Gospels, that's what sparks so many of the arguments. He's hanging out with all the wrong people. And Jesus is like, yeah, they are the ones that realize they need a doctor. <laughs> So yeah, I'm here to serve them. You can come on board if you want to. We want to build off of that legacy of Christ and have a community of inclusivity where anyone who walks in our doors, who joins our body, who, who wants to be a part of this community can feel safe, loved, and accepted. Yes, there may be some things in their lives and in each one of our lives that need to be challenged. I'm not pretending that there doesn't. But it's easier to challenge somebody if you have that relationship with them in the first place, if they feel safe, if they feel loved and accepted. You begin with belonging. Everything else comes after. So we want anyone to feel safe, loved, and accepted. Okay, this word experience. We, want, uh, we are helping everyone experience. Uh, we don't want to just talk about it. All right, it's one thing for me to just 
sit up here and blab for, you know, 30 to 40 minutes. It's one thing for Darren or John or whoever's teaching in class to sit up there and lecture at you for 45 minutes or so. We don't want to just talk about it. We want to live out our faith in real experiential ways. Through worship, yes, but also through service and through missional engagement, realizing that we are drawn into something bigger than ourselves, like I've said. It's an experience. It's not just something, it's not just something that takes place inside your head. It's not just a faith that you say, yeah, I agree, and then you can sit back and coast the rest of your life. No, Christ calls us to something bigger, to experience the fullness of God in our lives. It's an experience. And then finally, a life worth living. Wow. Um, eternal life. It's mentioned so many times throughout the Bible. And every time, I guarantee you, or just about every time, eternal life is a promise for the future and a reality now. We don't want to just stop at mere belief, but we want to strive to live out our faith in our daily lives as we follow Christ. If Christ isn't changing your life, then what's the point? If we aren't drawing closer to Christ, then what's the point? If we aren't drawing deeper into God, then what's the point of it all? We want everybody to experience a life, but a life worth living. Jesus says in John, uh, I believe it's chapter 8, he says, um, I've come that they may have life and have it to the fullest or have abundant life. Jesus came so we might have abundant life. We believe a life lived for Christ is the best kind of life for everyone. Does that mean everybody has to live the exact same lifestyle? No. We talked last week about how the, the goal is unity, not uniformity. God is glorified in our differences and in the variety of people that come into his community. How we can all work together to build each other up and to live that abundant life. Loneliness is one of the strongest epidemics right now. Yeah, we had the pandemic of COVID-19, and that made the other ongoing pandemic even worse, the pandemic of loneliness. In fact, Great Britain even started up a ministry of fellowship, a minister of loneliness to tackle the loneliness problem in the UK. And if it's happening in the UK, I know it's happening here. We are more connected to each other through our devices and through our social media and all this stuff than ever before, but we are also lonelier and less fulfilled than ever before. And in following Christ, not only do you get the guarantee of eternal life to come, but you get to experience abundant life in fellowship with like-minded people with the same goal here and now. So we want everyone to experience a life worth living. So what does that look like? <laughs> what does that look like? The last few things there in our uh, vision statement is nothing new to many of you who have been here for a while. Um, know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. That, that is what we believe a life worth living looks like. And it starts with knowing God. And by God, I mean the Godhead. I will say that. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Okay? Drawing closer to God, the creator of it all, the Father of all mankind. Drawing closer into our knowledge of Christ 
and his death, burial, and resurrection, and growing in our knowledge of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. Okay, there's so much to this. It, I mean, each one of these could take its own sermon series, but I'll try to keep it uh, somewhat brief. It starts by knowing God. And here's the, here's the cool thing. God has made himself knowable. Throughout Scripture, we're taught time and time again that God has made himself knowable. Through creation, Romans 1, 19 and 20, Paul says you can look out at creation and see something about God, his eternal nature, his divine power, but he's not visible to us, but we can see and know something about him through what he has made. We can look out at creation, at the stars, at the mountains, at, you know, Spring Mill State Park, and just know there was something divine behind all of this. He's made himself known through his word. Psalm 19, 7 through 11. Psalm 19 is one of my favorite psalms that we didn't get to over the summer. Maybe next summer. We'll see. But it talks about how uh, the, the laws of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. It talks about how much we can know and draw into our relationship with God through his word, through his law, through his decrees, through what he has made known to us. And finally, he's made himself knowable through, ultimately, through his son, Christ Jesus. Paul goes on this amazing hymn, exalting Christ in Colossians chapter 1. It's absolutely beautiful how all the fullness of God dwells in Christ. And Christ is the creator and sustainer of it all. We can know God through Christ. I love, uh, I love what Paul says here. In Acts chapter 17, he's talking to this group of, uh, of philosophers and politicians and leaders in the big city of Athens, Greece. And he's at what's called the Areopagus, or Mars Hill, as some of you may know it. And he says this to that group collected there. He says, from one man... He, God, has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries where they live. I love this part. He did this so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. He's not far. He wants to be known. He wants to be found. He has put that desire into our hearts to seek after him. And so many times, you see this all, all throughout our communities, all across the nation, people have that desire for something bigger, for something deeper, and they find, they try to meet that need through so many other sources, through so many other places and things that will just let them down ultimately, because nothing can satisfy that quite like our search for God. Uh, let's see, next one. Uh, Philippians 3, 10 and 11, Paul says this. He says, I want to know Christ. Above all, uh, he starts out the third chapter in, Philippian, in the letter to Philippians. He starts out by listing his resume. And it is a top-tier, Ivy League, classically trained resume. Like, best of the best. And he says, I count it all as refuse or excrement, I'll say, Okay. For the sake of knowing Christ. He says, above all, my ultimate goal in life, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. To become like him in his death and somehow to attain 
the resurrection from the dead. It begins with knowing God. Jeremiah 29, we all maybe know Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to get, prosper you and not to harm you. But right after that, in his letter to these people of Israel that are in captivity in Babylon, he says this, you'll call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You'll seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I will be found by you. God has made himself knowable. We just have to reach out. We just got to seek him. And every one of us has a desire, a drive to know God. And we want to help everyone to know God. So how do we do that though? Okay. Here's, if, if I had a little soapbox, I'd put it right here and I'd stand on it, but I don't. So just pretend, right? Every small church I've been a part of, and I've only been employed with, you know, smaller churches, has struggled time and time again to get people to teach our children. And that hurts my heart. Not only because I have said children, but because, as I mentioned last week, we are part of an unbroken chain of faith that stretches back literally thousands of years. Somebody taught you about Jesus. And somebody taught that person about Jesus. And somebody taught that person about Jesus. And if at any point along the chain, somebody had said, no, I don't feel like it, that chain would be broken and you might not be here. Researchers have said, and I believe it, we are one generation away from a faithless nation. We are one generation away. I'm not saying this to guilt or shame any of you into joining our children's ministry. But maybe if that's what it takes, maybe you need a wake-up call. You saw all those kids go back earlier. We need more of you to step up and be involved. It doesn't have to be every single week. But just come to the meeting tomorrow night, 630, in D1, down the hall. Okay, find out what it's all about. Find out what Josh has in mind. Find out how you can get plugged in and make sure that that chain remains unbroken for the coming generations, okay? Because we want our children to know God. We want our grandchildren to know God. We want our great, great, great grandchildren to know God. And if we drop the ball now, then that chain will break at some point. Okay, stepping off the soapbox. All right, we good? Okay. Let's see. I think I lost connection here with my iPad. All right, number two. We want, so we want everyone to know God. Second part of it, we want everyone to find freedom. To find freedom in Christ. And here's the thing. We've got freedom from and freedom to. <laughs> when you hear the word, we are free, some of you might think we are free from certain things. Others of you might think we're free to do certain things. And it doesn't have to be an either or. I think it's a both and. We see that all throughout scripture. We are free from guilt and shame. We are free from guilt and shame. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Paul says. Jesus constantly took away people's shame and gave them dignity and respect and honor. We are free from sin and spiritual death. That's Romans chapter 6. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are free from the wages of sin and death. 
We are free from condemnation. We don't have to worry about the judgment of other people. We don't have to worry about the judgment of God. We are free from all of that in Christ. We are free also from legalism and perfection. We are free from legalism and perfectionism. We don't have to have all the answers. We don't have to do all the right things in all the right ways because no one can live up to that. And we can free ourselves from having to strive to make it on our own and lean on Christ who became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We are free from all of those things. But we're also free too. We are free. We have the freedom to show and accept love, mercy, grace, forgiveness. We are free to love. <laughs> we are freed from the, the, the fear of love, right? There is no fear in love. We are free from all of that. And we can show true love and grace and mercy and forgiveness because we have been shown love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. We have the freedom to become who God made you to be. You don't have to live up to anybody else's expectation, but you can live into the life that God has created for you. And we have the freedom to step out in faith and take risks. Just like Peter, Lord, if it's you, tell me to step out of the boat. Jesus says, come. Peter steps out of that boat and starts walking on the water. He takes that risk. He steps out in faith. Is it always going to go well with you? No, but Jesus is right there to pick you up every time. If you step out in faith, he will not let you drown. We have the freedom to step out in faith and to take risks for the kingdom of God. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, he says this, For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but to serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. We've been freed from everything else that worldly religions have placed on us. We're free from all those burdens. And the only thing we are called to do is we are given the freedom to love. To love our neighbor as ourself. We want everyone to find freedom in Christ. We want everyone to discover their purpose. We want everyone to discover their purpose in Christ as well. Going back to Ephesians chapter 2, I love how the New Living Translation puts this. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, he says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for it, it's a gift from God. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done so that none of us can boast. Again, we are set free from the idea of legalism and perfectionism. We are saved by God's grace through faith. But I love this, what he says. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he's planned for us long ago. We're saved from sin and death. We're set free from all of that, but we're given the freedom to become the people God has created us to be. And in doing so, we discover our purpose and those good things God has created for us to do in Christ Jesus. You see how it's all connected. Discovering our purpose in Christ. We are his masterpiece. And this is where I love the idea of passion and purpose coming together in the person of Christ. There's so many of you who are passionate about stuff in this church. 
There are those of you who are passionate about evangelism and telling others about Jesus. There are some of you who are passionate about serving our children. There are some of you who are passionate about women's ministry or men's ministry or serving the elderly or whatever it is. There, you are passionate about stuff. And when you combine that passion with ultimate purpose for the kingdom in the person of Christ, that is where you start to build that fire inside you. That's where you start to be running on all cylinders for the kingdom of God. And that is fun and exciting to see. So what's your passion? How can we connect you to a purpose in the person of Christ? And then finally, kind of bringing it all together, we want everyone to be able to make a difference. To make a difference. <laughs> this was quoted earlier in our communion uh, talk. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Joe. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Jesus says in his famous Sermon on the Mount, he says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. You know, hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine, right? We all sing that song as a kid, maybe. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We are called to this thing called church to make a difference. The church does not exist for its own benefit, but for the benefit of those who are not members. We exist for the benefit of the community of Mitchell or Orlean or Bedford or wherever you're from. We, we are here for the benefit of others to make a difference, to make an impact, to leave a legacy behind <laughs> this is one of my favorite little snippets in the entire book of Acts. This is also Acts chapter 17. This is before Paul gets to Athens, but he's in the town of Thessalonica. And the officials of Thessalonica come, and they're hunting Paul and Silas and his buddies down. And they're being holed up uh, and hidden by this guy named Jason, who's part of this uh, church group in Thessalonica. And the officials arrest Jason and bring him out to, uh, to be judged. And this is what they said. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. And Jason has welcomed them. They're acting contrary to Caesar's decree, saying there's another king, Jesus. I love that. I wish that could be said about me. I wish that could be said about us as a body, as a community, as a church, that we are turning the world upside down, that we are telling everybody that there is someone else in charge. It's not the president, it's not the governor, it's not the mayor, it's King Jesus who's in charge. And he has total control over everything. Earthly powers can take a back seat. We're following Christ, and in doing so, we want to turn the world on its head, turn the world upside down. That is the difference that we can make if we truly follow Christ. And then, 
to quote Mother Teresa of all people. Oh man, talk about her legacy. But uh, Mother Teresa, she's reflecting on the teachings from another lady, St. Teresa of Lisieux in France. Mother Teresa says, not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. That's how we change the world. We don't have to do great things. We don't have to take control of, of the government. We don't have to change our entire school systems. We don't have to do great things. We don't have to you know, go out and preach to thousands as you know, Billy Graham might have done back in the day. We don't have to do great things. But all of us can do small things with great love. That's how we turn the world upside down. That's how we show the world that there's another king in charge. That's how we show the world really who we are and what it's all about. That's what I want for all of us here at Tulip Street. That's what I want for each and every one of us who partners with this community and this body here and then becomes part of this family. So if you would, could, could you read this aloud with me just so it kind of gets ingrained in you just a little bit, okay? So let's read this together one more time. At Tulip Street Christian Church, we are a Christ-centered community helping everyone experience a life worth living as we know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. All right. I want to close with this. All right. This is a throwback to last week. I mentioned this uh, article last week talking about the community of the church. He says, seeing church as a small gathering, most often in a home around eating, drinking, and discussion, suggests the shift away from institution to small groups based on personal relationships. To be faithful to the New Testament, we should consider moving in that direction. Now, many of you are aware, we do have small groups functioning here at Tulip Street. We have uh, several small groups that meet um, monthly or weekly, to where we can do just this. Because let me be completely honest with you. Everything we just talked about takes place outside of this gathering. <laughs> this is for worship and encouragement. Yes, this is the body gathered together on the first day of the week to partake communion, to worship God together as one, to hear a message from the Lord's word, to pray collectively all of that is amazing and essential. But all the rest of it takes place outside of these walls. Unless your small group meets inside these walls, but that's a whole other thing, right? If your small group meets here, that's... Anyway, um, everything else takes place outside of here, okay? The, the purpose of small groups... Um, uh, this article, Why Small Groups, <laughs> I think breaks it down perfectly. The goal of small groups is to create environments where spirit-driven, life-giving experience can flourish. Everything you can think of that we just mentioned as purposes for the church, and not just church by, by what we do on a Sunday morning for an hour, but church as a whole, church as a body. What is our purpose? What's our mission? What's our, what, what drives us? What's our goal? Uh, prayer, support, service, confession, Worship, accountability, conflict resolution, social gatherings, and simply doing life together. All of that, discipleship, evangelism, 
building each other up in fellowship, encouraging one another to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. All of that is fulfilled in our mission for small groups. All of it. (laughs) What we do on a Sunday morning is just a tiny little part of it. So I want to highly, highly encourage you. If you aren't a part of a small group, join one. If you can't find one, start one. (laughs) And it doesn't have to be hard. Sharing a meal together is a great place to start. Going out to a restaurant with some friends to talk about, you know, the deeper things of life. Starting a Bible study, you know, Huckleberries or Railroad Cafe or, uh, I don't know, uh, wherever you guys meet on Thursday mornings for breakfast. (laughs) Um, like, it can, it, it can take so many different forms. It doesn't have to be like an official program thing. It's just a small group, a small gathering of like-minded people fulfilling the mission of the church in small gatherings. That's where transformation happens. That's where real change happens. It's not, it's not going to happen staring at the back of somebody's head for an hour. It happens around a table, face-to-face, sharing a meal, discussing things that really matter, building one another up. That's ultimately what we want for each one of us. I want to invite half the worship team back up. Tyson, you're doing a great job today. Thank you. If you're able and willing, let's stand together. Let's read this one more time. Like you truly believe it, because I hope you do. This is what I want us to, to, to see happen at our church. This is where I think we can move forward from here on out. This is what we as a leadership want for each one of us. So let's read this together, and then we'll be led in one more song. At Tulip Street Christian Church, we are a Christ-centered community, helping everyone experience a life worth living as we know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. Amen. Thank you. Tyson.